You're listening to the Zipline Logistics Truck Yeah podcast, where we explore all kinds of hot topics in the logistics industry. Get ready to learn, laugh, and get your brain on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Zipline Logistics Podcast. My name is Jesse Jewett. Joined with me, as always, our Director of Training and Development, Teddy Lee Knox. Teddy, good morning. Good morning. We're doing a morning podcast here for you. we got a special guest with us today, Mr. Scott Jensen, the co-founder and CEO of Rhythm Superfoods, a current client of Zipline, board director and mentor at SKU, a CPG accelerator program, and previous co-founder slash CEO and now board member of Stubbs Barbecue Sauce. Scott, good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Super excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, we really appreciate you joining with us today. Uh, Right off the rip, can you tell me who is the picture on the Stubbs barbecue sauce? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that uh, is, was Christopher B. Stubblefield. He was the co-founder of the Stubbs barbecue sauce company and the Stubbs barbecue restaurant. Uh, when when my two partners, Eddie and John, and I first started the barbecue sauce company, it was with Stubb and his recipes. He demanded that his, you know, if his recipe was in the bottle, his face was going to be on it too as a mark of that's awesome. quality, if you will. So that, that's it. who it was, Stubb. Yeah. Yeah, he's staring at me every time I walk down that condiment aisle at uh, <laughs> our local Kroger here in, in Ohio. So it's it's definitely works. <laughs> yeah, keep buying it. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your um, your career journey, right? Give us the full rundown. You know, um, out of college, I worked for a great advertising agency uh, called, it was called the Bloom Agency back then. Publicis, which was a large international marketing company, ended up buying it. But that was out of Dallas. Went to SMU for my undergraduate degree and worked there for a couple of years. Went up to New York to NYU and got my MBA there and started working for a company called James River Corporation in the marketing department. They had a lot of paper related consumer goods like Northern uh, bathroom tissue, brawny paper towels, Dixie cups, Dixie plates. And I worked there for a couple of years too after getting my MBA and then um, made the jump into entrepreneurism and ended up down here in Austin starting the barbecue sauce company with Stubb and a couple of friends uh, from Texas that I had actually met and got to know while they were up in the New York City area uh, hmm. while, while I was up there. So, And then after, after we decided to uh, sell the Stubbs Barbecue Sauce Company, I started the Rhythm Superfoods Company, which is organic, natural, vegetable, and fruit-based snack company mm-hmm. that I'm currently uh, CEO of and, and super busy running that right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, uh, a fast-growing one. It's been a client of Ziplines for several years now. We actually have kale chips sitting on our bar for snacks for everybody, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> One of the <laughs> Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. I know two things about SMU. This is a side tangent. One, the Pony Express, the backfield, and two, Payne Stewart went there. Well, I guess three things. Bryson DeChambeau went there as well. Yeah, the Pony Express. I was there when Eric Dickerson and Craig James were the Pony Express, and I think I was a sophomore. Uh, when the NCAA uh, clamped down on some of the 
recruiting practices that SMU was involved in. Clamped down and, is a nice way of saying shutting down the football program for all of our listeners. Yeah, I think that, I think they used the term death penalty was what they gave. Like no recruiting, no televised games for like three years. Correct. So it was interesting. They were paving the streets in gold when I got there, and it was a very different football program by the time I was a junior. Wow. I bet. I bet. So tell us a little bit about Skew and and the work that you're doing with them. Oh, yeah. So Skew, S-K-U, but pronounced Skew to us is, you know, in, in the words of consumer products, the three letters are stock keeping unit, which is a, a parlance of how you describe products on a shelf, if you will. And so SKU is a consumer products accelerator. It's, you know, the first and best. And uh, a woman locally here in Austin named uh, Sherry Wynn Wrestler started it, I'm going to say 12 or 14 years ago. Um, and she tapped into a couple of consumer products, uh, you know, food and beverage leaders uh, to help her do it, to try to help educate and lift and create kind of a foundation for entrepreneurs that, you know, sometimes if you can just get a little bit of knowledge, it goes a long way to moving you much faster through the first several years of of learning things the hard way. And so SKU puts together what's basically a 12 to 14 week, you know, program of learning, surrounds uh, young entrepreneurs with a group of five, six or seven mentors. Mentors actually pay to be a part of it, and uh, and the companies that become involved in it give a little slice of their equity that gets divided up amongst the the mentors, and the mentors are there. They've got skin in the game, and they're there to see them succeed. And through this kind of twelve to fourteen week program, we're trying to create a network so that they have you know knowledge, whether it's legal or marketing or how to build a successful team of of people and create culture in your company. So it's, there are a lot of accelerators that have come and gone and SKU has been around for a long time. The model works. And, and so we do two, about two of them a year. And there's another one in New York city that we partnered with a group called, well, it's called beyond SKU, but beyond brands is the partner on it. So there's a New York city based one as well. It's exciting. You know, it's, it's a lot of work too. You have to, in order to be, effective with someone that's a young entrepreneur in the in the CPG world, they need a lot of help and guidance. And so the mentors that surround them give a lot of their time and knowledge and pay to be a mentor. So um, it works. Yeah, that support goes a long way, I bet. Yeah. And and it's it's kind of like the never ending support group. The <laughs> you know, the folks that graduate through a track, if you will, usually become such a big part of the mentor teams you know, heart really that right. you want to continue to help them afterwards. So I'm still having calls and meetings with folks that graduated from the program eight, nine years ago. So it's, it's, it's a great network to be a part of. It's just not about the learning. It's not necessarily about, Oh, I need to raise money. So I need to be involved in SKU. The strength of it is the network of all the mentors involved, people that you can just dial up and go have a coffee or a lunch with if you're having a problem with something and hopefully get to an answer quicker. Nice. Well, safe space there. That's awesome. So you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned marketing and you mentioned getting your MBA. What drew you to consumer product goods and, and starting brands or that entrepreneurial spirit? I think I can pinpoint it to a couple of things I was doing as a youngster. I don't know why I was doing it, but I remember, you know, 
my extended family was up in the Northeast in Connecticut, but I was living in Florida. And so we would drive up and down I-95 a couple times a year to visit the family. And at one point you could buy this little candy called Pop Rocks, like only in a couple of states. And you couldn't buy it where I was. So we'd pull over at a Stuckey's or something on I-95 in South Carolina. And I bought like four or five boxes of the Pop Rocks. And I was able to sell them for three times the price at my school at recess. I bring back the bullseye of my interest in being involved in consumer products back to those moments and figuring out that, you know, if you can create a market of trust and bring exciting things to people, they'll open up their wallets or their, you know, their pockets and and pay for something. Um, and then got very interested in under in undergraduate school at SMU. Um, while I was trying to get my Bachelor of Science in Psychology, uh, a lot of it is, you know, understanding how how humans behave and what motivates them. And that translated into, um, you know, getting my business communication degree also from SMU, two degrees. And it all seemed to come together in, 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 a, in a general interest in trying to figure out what people need and what they want, and then how economically you can build something that fulfills that need. I know it sounds esoteric, but that's kind of, that's where I bring bring the starting points to. No, that's awesome. Starting from a very young age and figuring that out and then still applying it today, you know, decades later, that's that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool story connecting that uh, that experience of your life. I wish I could go back to the Pop Rocks days. It's so much more complicated now. Uh, so let's talk about taking stubs and rhythm superfoods from ideas on paper or in someone's brain slash heart and then translating them into a successful brand that they are today. You know, I think um, one of the things that I've learned that I, I like to pass on to entrepreneurs is that the thing that you thought was going to bring you to whatever you think the end point is sometimes can be very different than what you thought it was going to be when you first started. So you have to be willing to jump in at some point I'll say like jump in the pool, like you think you know how you're going to swim to the other side, but it's not working. So you got to figure it out. And for both companies, I mean, we knew at Stubbs that the barbecue sauce just tasted excellent. Mm -hmm. And that was from years of Stubb himself, you know, being a great barbecue cook and understanding what flavors inspired people to eat and, and enjoy it. So having something that's good, inside the bottle or inside the bag or inside the packaging is preeminent. It has to be good. It has to meet a quote unquote market need, a consumer need. And so that's, that's the first thing, but you know, you have your ideas of how things are going to go and you can put them down in a spreadsheet. You know, you use, this is going to be my forecast for the next three years. And maybe it looks like a hockey stick. Maybe it doesn't, but it never goes, you know, how you think it is every once in a while there's there's unicorn launches of something that mm -hmm. just it's usually luck that someone just comes up with something right at the right time and it takes off but the majority of the success in in building a brand and understanding how to succeed is is having perseverance and and also knowing when to slightly pivot left or right if you're coming out and you've decided to come out with an energy bar that's all based off of some obscure berry that's found in 
Mongolia and two years in, no one's resonating with it because they don't understand the benefits for them, then you you might have to develop something else. And, and, and sometimes that's hard to like explain to an investor group that you're talking to early on that's going to help fund your journey is that, hey, this is what I think is going to happen, but we may have to pivot left and right, and we may have to raise more money. And so I would just say that like up front, be prepared that even though you may love your packaging now, it may look completely different four years from now because it has to. Nice. So being able to, you know, move and groove and pivot a little bit here and there and 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 also to have perseverance. The people that last the longest are the ones that when they get kicked in the stomach, they don't fall down and not get up. You gotta be able to take some lumps along the way. Yeah, I, when I hear that you say building a brand, right? It's like truly building. <laughs> that's that's the the action verb, if you will, right? You don't build something all at once. You build it slowly over time and developing a solid foundation and step one after the other, one foot in front of the other. So it's good to hear that from from someone with a, uh, as experienced as you are. I would say that like a good example of that is when we first started the Rhythm Superfoods company, we started with kale chips and the super healthy just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And everyone was recognizing how good kale was for you. So we were making it up here in the U.S. and I wasn't as deeply aware then as I am now that the availability of fresh kale in the United States grown nearby is limited to a few, you know, several, you know, few several months out of the year. And then, and then it has to come from far away. And so, you know, five or six years into it, we were like, man, this is costing a lot to bring stuff in from you know, in the winter time across the border from Mexico. And, and sometimes we can't even get it because the truck gets stopped at the border because a truck of lettuce the day before had a, a bug that no one could identify. Like things you don't know are going to happen are going to happen. So we, we had to pr make the decision to bring our production close to where the raw materials are growing on a month-to-month -month basis year-round. Mm -hmm. So that that led us to building out a production platform in Guadalajara, Mexico, which is in Jalisco, which is right in the middle of a massive produce-growing region of North America, the biggest in North America. So we're an hour to an hour and a half away from every one of our organic farmers, and they grow our stuff year-round. And there's only a very, very small little pinpoint of a place in California that you can say that can grow stuff like that year round. And it's very expensive because it's a microclimate in kind of Ventura, California. Yeah. So we had to move and we didn't think about that when we first started and we had to bring, you know, 19 trucks of equipment and all kinds of raw materials and packaging across the border into Guadalajara into a brand new plant that now is what's making our kale chips and cauliflower snacks and shishito peppers and jicama sticks. So sometimes the pivots can be big. Yeah, that's super cool to hear. Certainly over the last three years now, almost coming out of the COVID pandemic, we're seeing a lot of other companies evaluate that on a national level of how should our supply chain look and, and where should we be? So that's interesting to hear that that story that I would assume happened several years ago. Uh, that you transition to be closer to your production. So that's that's very cool. Yeah, and by by chance, just being down there during COVID, we didn't really have any of the issues that some of the 
United States companies were having, bringing packaging in from Asia, if you will, or raw yeah. materials from Asia. The ports of Long Beach, Los Angeles, were backed up with boats, you know, waiting a month or two to get in to offload right. their stuff. And we didn't have that in Mexico. The same issue wasn't happening there. Mm -hmm. And so, an, an, you know, there's no way to kind of like forecast some sort of weird event like that happening. Right. But we didn't have that. We were growing our product from the ground. And so COVID didn't affect the sunshine or the water or the availability of seeds. So we didn't have the same disruptions that other people did that needed to bring something in from some part of the world that had to shut down. We're talking about roadblocks, obviously. Any other kind of unique or consistent roadblocks that you experience when you're launching these brands? I think right now, you know, I'm talking to you guys um, in July of 2023. So if someone listens to this two years from now, it may be old news. But the the nature of funding for startup companies has changed dramatically in the last year to year and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was, you know, it's it's all part of a, a very different economy that we were living through over the last seven or eight years with cheaper than cheap money based off of Fed funds rates and free money interest rates. Yeah, it's really and plentiful. So whether it's venture capitalists, private equity folks. Um, even, you know, friends and family investors, mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot more capital and it was intentionally available in consumer products and particularly food and beverage among, you know, that's what I've, I've focused on, but I'm sure for health and beauty aids and stuff like that. So that has very dramatically changed and it's just not there. So if you're going to start up uh, a consumer products company right now, I think a tremendous amount of your time and thinking and networking is about, can I adequately raise the capital and not just raise the capital, but can I raise it in a way that's beneficial to me or we as founders, um, as well as the investors? So right. like if, if the first round of funding, you already have to give 75% of the company up you can imagine what happens three years later if you're down to 5% ownership and you're working 75 hours a week to make something happen. Yeah. This, the psychological motivations aren't there anymore. So there's this kind of difficulty right now in seeing where this early stage capital is very expensive. You know, people are, are able to find deals as investors that were way more lucrative to the investor now than they were two years, three years ago, where it was, I would say, a more balanced approach to the entrepreneur and the investor. So things have tilted towards the investor because people are desperate for money right now that have started businesses two or three or four years ago, and they're in their second round or third round of funding. They need the money to keep the machine going. So someone new really has to focus on what they're, what they're going to do. I mean, the best advice I can give right now is you got to be really lean, 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 uh, you know, sleep in your car as you drive to do a demo uh, in, you know, 150 miles away or, um, you know, I'm not even being facetious there. Like the leaner you can be, the more equity you can hold on to and the more um, progress and momentum you can show financially for your company that with very little money, you've made a lot of progress. That's the kind of investment that an investor is not going to 
leverage the value of what you're trying to do. Like they're they're happy to invest at a different range than if you're just expecting free money, it's very difficult to find. Yeah, that's some really good insight there into the current state of things. Because I saw in an article, I believe it was today, regarding the current economic state, there's been a lot of proposals or submissions for new businesses here starting in the first half of uh, 2023. So that's interesting to hear the the challenges of, of, of the funding element. All right, we're going to pivot into logistics. You mentioned it. Uh, earlier about the transition of your warehouse space from overseas um, into a closer uh, North American domestic uh, transportation that obviously impacted uh, things quite significantly. But what do you see the role of logistics playing in the success of your brands? You know, when you first start a company, the knee-jerk reaction is that you're just trying to find the cheapest way to get something from A to B, you know, from your warehouse or your plant to the customer, the retailer, or the distributor. Most people have to go through a journey of figuring out that not all cheap freight is the same and not all freight is the same. It takes a while for someone to figure out that the timeliness of communication along the way, um, the handling of it, the technology that the companies that you're working with on freight or even warehouse 3PL, all of those things will at some point in the near future become much more important to you than saving a nickel per case. And I don't want to say that like, you know, flippantly, like everyone wants to be efficient and they're tracking their freight costs. And when you're first starting out, you're not shipping full truckloads, you're shipping two pallets, four pallets. And you find out how incredibly expensive, you know, LTL, less than truckload, less than load, shipping is to certain points of the country and it can be devastating to your profitability if suddenly you get into i'll say wegman supermarkets in the northeast and you have to ship to uh, a distributor's warehouse in york pennsylvania and the first orders because you only got two items into that wegman's they're going to order two pallets at a time you may be paying 500 dollars per pallet to ship it all the way up there and you may only have 100 cases on a pallet. So suddenly it's $5 per case. And you're now upside down in your margin and you can't make money on that. And you're like, oh, my God, how do I do business? It's such a great retailer and they're awesome. And then you find out if you could ship a truckload of it, uh, it actually goes down to like 50 cents a case. Or, you know, I'm not doing the math here, but yep. it's so dramatically different to find scale in freight that the early stages of being a business are punitive because the LTL has to get handled so many times and sometimes by different carriers. And there's a drop off in Tennessee and a pickup the next day and it goes up, you know, to the outskirts of Pennsylvania. And then it's trying to get into New Jersey and it gets rehandled again. And, and so that, that early stage of freight can be daunting and you're trying to price your product to the customer so that it's not twice as expensive as it would be if you were making your normal margin. So you're taking the hit on your margin, hoping that scale will eventually come. And it usually does, but you've got to figure out how to get there quicker and get creative about it. Sometimes you call your customer and say, look, this two pallet stuff is killing me. Can you at least take eight? And they're like, that's two months of inventory. And you say, all right, well, I'll give you 45 days of payment terms so that I can save 
$3 a case by sending you eight pallets instead of two. So there, there's creative ways to try to figure out how to solve around it. Um, and then what I kind of began with is the holding and, and, and managing of that freight as it moves around. There are a lot of cheap suppliers that, you know, they'll save you couple hundred dollars on a truck going somewhere and you choose them. And then you find out that they didn't call in advance for the appointment. So they got blocked at the gate and they can't get in because they didn't call in advance. And, and so that then after a couple of times of that, uh, and then your buyer calling you to stress you out and tell you that, you know, unless you can start making your appointments on time, they, they may have to stop working with you. Like that's, that's the realness of freight. It has to be efficient. If you're going to deal with a distributor or a retailer, you have to have someone that's going to be holding on to the communication process and being careful with your load and and using you know insured uh, trucks that if something happens, you actually have the ability to make a claim and get your money back if the truck ran off the road and destroyed all your product. So it's more than just saving a nickel here and a nickel there. Would you say that that comes into the strategy much later for most logistics, for most companies, the logistics part of it? Because it sounds like yes. you're saying it's like you have to figure it out. So there's it's a learning process for all companies to think about logistics by the mode or, you know, by the delivery rather than just the cost of the truck. I think it's like one of those things that everyone, when they first start out, are so focused on saving money that until you start having some burps in the system where Yes, you saved money, but they missed the appointment or they used a truck that got two flat tires on the way up. So they're not going to get there until th three days later. The, the, the technology that's available now for tracking trucks and, and letting you know where things are in the communication process, you don't realize the cost of the burps until a couple of years in when you've had several big ones that have cost you way more than you were saving by going with you know some low cost broker or something like that. So um I imagine the, you don't, of the burp changes by receiver as well. Yeah, exactly. And that's why they, they end up screaming at you. And and it becomes, you know, depending on who the customer you're dealing with, some of them are much more severe and punitive if you're missing appointments. And there's a reason for it. Like, hey, we've got this bay door open for 30 minutes for your truck. And you came 20 minutes late. So now you're rolling into the next truck's bay door that was you're supposed to be already wrapped up and out of here. They're trying to optimize their labor and, and their availability of open doors. And if you're going to be someone that shows up late more than once or twice, you're going to hear from it. And there's oftentimes financial penalties for that as well. Absolutely. So I think I'm going to give you an alley-oop here. And I think I know the, the answer, but what led you to working with us being zipline logistics we early on only knew kind of the broker networks uh, even though i had already done this at stubs i didn't know andrew and the team when we were uh doing business at stubs before rhythm superfoods and so when i met andrew he started talking to me about like how they were different we took a took a gamble on it and said hey let's let's give these guys a shot and at that point we weren't doing full truckloads so the care and the hand-holding of the freight along the way has proven to us that the value of what Zipline brings us through, whether it's technology, communication, making delivery appointments on time, handling issues with, you know, uh, a tipped over pallet or whatever, like 
they are there like no one else is there to not shy away from the problems, but to dive right into the problems. And so I think we've been with Zipline for seven or eight years and we'll continue to use them for much of our freight. Some of our customers choose to pick up and uh, they happen to have a truck in the area and they're able to fill an entire truck up and do that more efficiently. But for the third-party delivery that we use, uh, you know, Zipline's the first and only group that we call for all of that. And it's, uh, it's kind of a requirement on our part to make sure that we're analyzing that cost and every year or so reach out and talk to other freight carriers and, and freight companies as well. But so far, we always come back to Zipline. We like the people and they're, they're there when a problem happens. That's great to hear, especially, you know, obviously throughout this interview, you've talked about the many hats that you're wearing, right? And you don't have a logistics background, but partnering with somebody, right, who understands the ins and outs and the nature of the retailers, of the LTL shipments, of the full truckload, of the consolidation, of the claims process, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. CPG experts in transportation, that's the idea to help you with that success of, of growing your brand. Yeah, exactly. I'm knowledgeable enough and dangerous enough to think I know what I'm doing, but I only know 10 to 20% of what, you know, the freight issues are. And when we hand things over to Zipline, we're assured that it's going to be handled correctly. And I still think like those beginning stages of being an entrepreneur, you're still going to like the knee jerk reaction is just to go to try to save a penny a case or a nickel a case until they have enough burps that it's just like this is burning up way too much of my time it's not worth it and i'm not saying zipline is more expensive they're very very freight efficient but there's always there's always a a, a broker that you can call you know and save fifty dollars a hundred dollars on a load and you soon find out that that may have cost you a thousand dollars uh, in headaches after right. uh, after a disaster happens. Well, we really appreciate that feedback. As we close here, Scott, did we, did we miss anything that you want to shout out to either logistics folks or entrepreneurs out there? Well, if you haven't worked with Zipline as a young entrepreneurial company or mature entrepreneurial company, you should definitely reach out to them. The only way you'll know the difference is if you hand over some of your freight and just like, Ask them to start shipping 20% of your freight and see if you can manage the cost and, and the customer service uh, and what they do for you. It's always going to be efficient. You're never going to get gouged. They've, they've got freight going all over the place, so they know exactly what they're doing and trying to fill trucks up too. But the customer service part is the point of differentiation, and you won't know. I, I mean, I guess this is an ad for you guys, but like... <laughs> There's no skin off your back to reach out and try and then analyze and see if this is this is a, a company that you want to do business with. And my my hat like is is on the wall over at SKU at the accelerator program because I truly do love helping entrepreneurs. And outside of that, there's limited time to to uh, help other folks because I'm always helping so many people at SKU. But feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Scott Jensen. And uh, you'll find me at Rhythm Superfoods. And if you've got a need for a question answered on something that you're not quite sure about, I do really enjoy helping young entrepreneurs find their way over brick walls. 
Awesome. So much. Thank you for joining us, Scott, Thank on the Zipline Logistics Truck Yeah podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Good to meet you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.